Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we are catching up with Hannah Simon two weeks after finishing tied for third place on the Tour Divide. And if you've been following along, you'll know that Hannah has committed to attempting the Bikepacking Triple Crown, which is the Tour Divide, Colorado Trail Race, and Arizona Trail Race all in a calendar year. And with only four weeks left to prepare for the Colorado Trail, I caught up with Hannah on a park bench in Austin, Texas to hear about her Tour Divide experience and how she is preparing for the next leg of the Triple Crown. Now, if you didn't listen to my first episode in this series, I recommend that you listen to that one first, as this episode will be picking up on the conversation that we started there. Uh, If you'd like to check that one out, it is episode 150. On a personal note, I just want to send my personal congratulations to Hannah for um, not only completing the Tour Divide on her first attempt, but coming in uh, tied for third is an amazing accomplishment, and it's only a part of a much larger goal that she has set for herself, and it is truly incredible, and her story is legitimately showcasing um, what anybody can do if they really dedicate the time Uh, the space, the money, and all the other things that take to get you to the start line of the Tour Divide and all the way to the finish line. Um, But Hannah is not unlike many of us that have full-time jobs and friend groups and things that could stand as barriers to her being able to take on something like this. Um, But in only a few short years after entering the bikepacking community, she is already uh, taking on bikepacking's biggest challenge in the Triple Crown. And uh, so far, it's going pretty well, which is amazing to see. And uh, we had a wonderful chat, and I can't wait to share it with you. But before we get into it, why don't we take a moment to thank the people that make these episodes possible. We truly cannot produce these shows without support and all the support we get is truly valuable and it helps us to produce these shows. So without further ado, let us thank our newest patrons, starting with Jacob T-Rex, middle initial T, last name Rex, pretty awesome. Uh, And then we also had Robert Watson who increased his pledge. So thank you all so much for stepping up to be sustaining members of this podcast. It really does make all the difference. And if you would like to join Jacob and Robert, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right. Well, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at hefe.bike. That is their website address. There is no .com, so it is hefe.bike is their website address. And hefe.bike specializes in hard-to-find bikepacking accessories. They have carefully curated a collection of specialty and hard-to-find items with the bikepacker and adventure cyclist in mind. They specialize in bicycle cockpit mounts and dynamo components. And they personally ride everything that they sell, so everything on the site is Tour Divide grade quality. Now, speaking of the Tour Divide, there are over 40 documented starters in the Tour Divide racing with the K-Lite Dynamo lighting and charging system. 
And there are hundreds more that are touring the Great Divide mountain bike route and other ultra-challenging routes with K-Lite. It is the world's toughest light and charging system and the only one worth going off the grid with. To check out their full line of K-Lite products and curated products for the bikepacker and adventure cyclist, point your browser to hefe.bike. There's no .com on this one. It's hefe.bike. That's J-E-F-E dot B-I-K-E. Check out all their offerings on their website. And don't forget to let them know that Bikes Are Death sent you. All right. Bills have been paid. And now it is time to get to my chat with Hannah Simon on a new park pinch at a new park. Uh, in Austin. So far, we've interviewed, uh, I think, four times, and each time has been at a different park bench. Uh, so I'll be curious to see where we do the next one. Uh, but until then, uh, let's get into today's episode. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right. Well, you're a professional, so can we jump right in? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, welcome back from the Tour Divide. Thanks. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like we were just here talking not very long ago, and now you're back again, except for this time, uh, you got another notch in your belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> um, was that to save weight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was all about the aerodynamics, really. Um, right. Don't want that uh, that drag from from a few inches of hair. So I think really that's what pushed me over the edge. It had to be the hair. (laughs) Uh, Any reason for for the hair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you just cut off all your hair just maybe on a whim. Maybe you did. I don't know. But there's got to be a story behind it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I... um, So I shaved my head back in 2018 before I did the ride to Alaska. Um, And back then I I had really long hair. And so it was a little bit more of a a thing, um, bigger deal. And um, I hadn't ever done it before either. So um, that was for St. Baldrick's, like the raise money for for childhood cancer. Um, You like shave your head and then uh, donate your hair. Um, And so I did it back then. And... um, I was thinking about it for in like preparation of tour divide. I, it's mostly logistical. Like it's just nice to not worry about hair. Like, you know, anytime I would stop to fill up water, I could just stick my head under the spigot and (laughs) cool off type thing. But I, it was also a little bit like kind of, I don't know, representative or, um, it felt like, you know, five years ago I did it right before I rode my bike across the country. And so, felt like a good thing to do when I rode my bike across the country again. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, maybe that's your superpower. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe I can only do these things without any hair. <laughs> your hair's been holding you back this whole time. You just cut it off, you can get across the country, no problem. Exactly, yeah. 
Well, I want to hit you with kind of a, a, a more challenging question right off the bat. This is your fourth time on the podcast. So at this point, you're a veteran. Um, you literally just got off the tour divide two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now you are four weeks away from uh, taking on the Colorado Trail Race. And I was thinking about this as I was driving here. And this is crazy. Like you just rode 2,700 miles. You just got home. Your body, I assume, is healing. And at the same time, you have to start training for Colorado trail race. And so uh, I'm wondering just like how you're feeling in this moment. Does it feel daunting, exciting, mm-hmm. scary? Like, or you're like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, well, I made the mistake of like on the last couple days of the divide thinking about Colorado trail mm. and how close it was. Cause it really is only, I think like six weeks between the end and the, at the end of the tour divide and the beginning of Colorado trail, or at least the like getting home from one and then having to leave for the next. Um, and during tour divide, I was like, absolutely not. I will not do imagine, uh, this type of suffering or like deciding to do this again. Um, and then pretty much the second that the tour divide ended and I got back home really quickly, uh, it kind of like, switch that flip switch between like oh that sounds like the worst thing that i would want to do right now to like oh i want to get back out there and do it again oh wow um not the tour divide again but (laughs) just the living off your bike um challenging your body in that way um yeah yeah so it's it's switched for me it is a little daunting um just i mean logistically trying to get yourself out to the next start um i think that's a big part of the battle with a lot of these races is actually feeling prepared enough to go and be there to start it. Um, cause it simplifies a lot once you're actually doing it, but, um, getting there is, is its own animal. So, um, I, I think the two tour divide being so long was like the biggest, um, kind of like challenge, um, overall. And so the fact that, Colorado trail race is like one sixth of the <laughs> distance, um, feels less, um, daunting for that reason. But, um, also just knowing that that terrain is going to be so much more challenging in a different way, um, is definitely, um, off putting for sure. Yeah. But, a little scary. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> if you're not a little scared, you're not aware of what you're about to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, we're, I want to kind of end our conversation mm-hmm. with how we're preparing for Colorado trail race or yeah. by we, I mean you, I'm just, I'm just the guy <laughs> with the microphone, but, uh, um, so let's, you know, another question about tour divide and, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to start at the ending, mm-hmm. uh, essentially, but you, you've had two weeks to reflect, mm-hmm. um, on your experience and I'm, I'm curious, you can't do 2,700 miles without a range of emotions and perspectives. And uh, mm-hmm. what what are some of your top reflections that you've had or, or aha moments or anything over the last, you know, two weeks or so? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny. You said when we started about a, like, feels like we were just sitting in a park talking about this um, before it happened. And um, I honestly, I got back from Tour Divide and truly it felt like nothing ever happened, (laughs) Um, which (laughs) I feel like it's kind of fucked up, honestly. Like, just get back into real life and, like, you have to kind of remind yourself that you were out there doing that. Um, and, or at least I, I had to remind myself, um, cause, cause I you quickly just, forget, you just get back in a groove. Yeah. 
you just jump right back in. Like I got back and had a couple of days off and then I was back at the shop working and um, everybody that was here before was still here. And um, it it's a weird kind of time warp. And you just like, if you don't sit down and force yourself to reflect on it, that can feel like it never happened. Um, which is really, yeah, it was, it's, it's been bizarre. So, um, I think I've, I fared pretty well as far as like, we have kids approaching my, uh, uh Oh, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole classroom. That's a whole situation. I wonder if they're headed this way. I, I do wonder, I wonder if they want to have anything to do with these like ant hills over yeah. here, if they're going to be more satisfied with the swings and airplanes and yeah. stuff. Or if they're just going to walk right there. I've been here before in this situation with uh, Henley and, um, oh, I can't remember <laughs> her name. Henley, Henley Phillips and uh, her name starts with a K. Uh, I did a podcast with him, there, uh. he, them here in Austin and we picked a playground and yeah. halfway through the interview, uh, kids <laughs> showed up. We had to had to move. But all right, there's all right. We'll see. Seems like the ground rules are being set. We might get <laughs> we might get a few visitors. This might be a multi-location <laughs> shoot. It might be a one take. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so you're talking about uh, that transition back into the daily life. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh shit, I actually did that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you'll have little flashes of like, remembering moments um that you didn't remember happened and honestly it, it happened during the race too where like it'd be day 15 and i'd think back to day three and i was like wait that just happened like i'm still out here doing this yeah um which is a crazy feeling <laughs> it's crazy that people are still out there right now yeah Absolutely. Like you're home, you've been home for a little while and there's still some people finishing up right now. Yeah. Well, and that was what was wild about the few days after. So I, I finished on a Tuesday evening, um, and Russell was there with the RV yeah. um, and our friend Matt. And there were also, um, a couple other people. So, um, two guys that are doing a longer term project with Alexandra kind of about triple crown. And then Alexandra's partner, Johnny was there too. Um, and then also Tomas, who helps um, volunteer with the Hachita Bike Ranch. Oh, um, yeah. So that's a really cool thing for all the folks who come and don't have people to meet them at the end. Um, most of the time they're from out of the country or something. Um, he was the older gentleman? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he was there when I was there, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was there the, the whole time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like he's been at, a lot, at the end of a lot of these things because he's um, made friends with Alexandra and always just pops up out of nowhere. And yeah. just like, the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> he told me that he was doing that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not so. shy about it. <laughs> nope, not at all. Um, yeah, so we kind of had like a little a, a greeting party when we sh when we showed up, um, and yeah, we were talking about staying to wait for Alexandra, um, but at that point she was still quite a few hours away, and there's really nothing out there. Yeah, um, and so we decided to go ahead and uh, pack up the RV and start heading back toward Austin. And it's amazing, Russell. Like within 24 hours, got me from the end of Tour Divide all the way home. Oh wow! Um, and we even stopped at um, uh, Balmerea State Park and like got a swim in. Oh, so. <laughs> sweet. Is that a, a nice state park? I've always, I always pass it. I'm like, oh man, I want to stop at that one. It's incredible. Yeah. It's like a little mini Barton Springs. Oh, um, 
which uh, is awesome because you're kind of out there in the middle of the desert. And then there's just this beautiful natural spring pool um, that if you have a state park pass, you get into for free. So it's awesome. Get your state park pass, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, good. So that's the ending. Let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. We're just going to jump, <laughs> <laughs> jump around. I, yeah, we always start at the beginning. I was like, let's start at the end this time. Let's just, yeah. you know, we can do whatever we want to. So last time we, we left off, you were headed to Montana to mm-hmm. acclimatize and to kind of soak in some of the beauty and enjoy it before you had to be in the pits of bike racing hell. I'm being dramatic. Um, <laughs> oh, no, for it effect. Could be hell. <laughs> oh, no, it could be hell. Yeah. I'll let you say it, though. It's your your podcast. But uh, yeah, so you had some homework left to do. I mm-hmm. figure we could just kind of pick up uh, where we left off. And how was your uh, Montana experience and your acclimatizing? How'd that go? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah, I flew to Missoula um, to stay with my friend Allie Mabry and um, got there. No problem. You know, the people at American Airlines checked my bike as a TV. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's only 30 bucks to get on the plane, which was great. Dude, pro tip. And I bet they're so much careful, more careful with TVs, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just a thought. Yeah. I walked up to the, to the desk and set it down. I had my bike helmet on and the lady looks at me and she goes, so it's a TV, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I like took my helmet off. I was like, yes, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that works every time, but um, she handed me that one. So um, yeah, got to Missoula smoothly, um, built my bike up, spent the night there. And then um, Allie and her partner, Joel, um, had some family in town. So we actually rode out um to a campsite that was like 30 miles outside of Missoula in the direction I was going um and stayed there overnight and then I took off in the morning and just um started going north um while they went back to 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 town oh yeah and what happened with your frame bag um oh yeah um when I got there it was waiting for me um I had shipped it to adventure cycling and um everything fit perfectly and worked really well which was um Lucky, I guess, <laughs> in some ways. Um, but yeah, I was really, really grateful. I was glad that I decided to get those bags um, from Revelate because um, the bags I was using before were awesome, but they didn't quite fit the frame, so I wasn't using all of the space that I could. Um, and so that frame bag fits perfectly. Um, I think it's it's not the Ranger frame bag. It is the Ranger frame bag, I guess is what they call it, um, but it's their mountain biking, just yeah. like generic frame bag. Um, and then the, um, spine lock seat bag, um, which is like 12 liters and my, uh, one before was only 10. Um, oh yeah, that's so, small. um, yeah, exactly. So it makes a big, it made a big difference. Um, yeah. And so I was glad that that all worked out the way that it, um, needed to, um, yeah. And everything fit. Um, which was good because that would have been bad if it didn't. <laughs> one, one final mental stressor before, mm-hmm. you know, the tour divide, at least, you know, Sarah Swallow was, uh, repairing a bike frame and yeah. so, and who, uh, Manu Catrice that I interviewed last mm-hmm. year, he, he, his bike never even showed up off the airlines <laughs> and he had to build a whole new bike. And so wow, there's been all kinds of like crazy stories of just drama right before the tour divide. And then people like going through it people are crazy mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah so was that was that fun that montana segment what did it kind of give you what you needed and acclimatize you and stuff 
I mean, it honestly, it ruined me, honestly, oh. <laughs> in, in the, like, in the sense that I got to tour, I was still riding just about a hundred miles a day. And, um, yeah, I mean, I got to sleep eight hours a night and I was stopping for lunch and enjoying the views. And I was like, man, touring is the way yeah. <laughs> this race thing is overrated. Um, no, it was, but it was really, really nice. It got me out of the like everyday, you know, running the bike shop, having a million things going on um, and let me just be with my bike and alone too, which was something that, um, was really nice, um, just to be able to kind of make entirely my own decision and, um, go with the days however I wanted to, you know, I had a plan on the way up there for how I was going to get from Missoula to Banff. And of course, like after the first day, I get into Big Fork, Montana and go to this cute little cafe and, the guy running it sees my bike and he's like, well, so what's your plan? Do you know where you're going next? And I told him I was headed to Eureka and he was like, are you going to do that all on the highway? And I said, well, yeah, that's, that was what I anticipated. And he like pulled out his Atlas and like showed me another way to go on North Fork road. Um, he, did he point out where his creepy cabin is? Was the <laughs> yeah. in the woods, like right on route. Yeah. He's like, and that's where I stay. Yeah. It told me to stop right there. And, uh, <laughs> There's a chicken. water spigot around back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was actually really lovely. No, I'm to, kidding. To, yeah. That's cool. To meet them. Yeah. yeah. And to hang out with some locals. So they gave, and, they gave you a pretty good route. Yeah. They gave me a good route to go. Um, and, and that night I was staying in the in the state park and so whenever I went to the state park and set up um, I went out to the the little like lake to watch the sunset and like out comes the crew from the cafe like coming to see the sunset too yeah um, so it was a really nice moment I got to uh, make some friends in Big Fork and um, that's Max's market um, if anybody's ever in Big Fork Montana they <laughs> should go hang out with uh, with those folks but um, yeah it was it was awesome uh the weather was perfect um on the way up there um it got a little warm of course um but uh i was able to get the mileage done that i wanted to and get into the mindset and unpack and repack a few times um and got to banff uh let's see it was on wednesday um so i still had thursday to hang out before the race started on friday what is what is the beginning of the race like? Is yeah, I mean, is there a community vibe? Is it tense? Are people laughing? Like what? Yeah, what's the beginning like? I've been to the end a few times now, but mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, rolling around Banff, you know, you can tell a tour divide ride divide rider from a mile away. Like you see their bike, you see all their bags. They kind of look at you, and you look at them, and then <laughs> then you decide whether or not you're going to be like. Hey, <laughs> you're doing the thing I'm doing. Um, so everybody's just kind of like crawling around. And then the town itself is like hustling, bustling. Like it's a very touristy town. And so there's a lot of other people there too. So it's kind of strange because there's so much going on. And then you see somebody else who is also doing the thing you're doing. And so you, you chat with them for a second, ask all the like, is this your first time? Are you planning on racing? How long do you want to do it for? And um, it's cool because you kind of make those connections and then you get to see where people end up um, once the race starts. But um, yeah, it's it's very much people mulling about and just waiting for it to happen. Mm. You know, it was funny. There's a guy, his name's Adrian. Um, he had done uh, a bit of the race before and I think 2019. And I ran into him on the road on the way to Banff. Um, and he was on a fixie. 
Oh God! Um, with a big old backpack on, <laughs> oh. and he. Um, had told me, you know, that he was planning on doing the race and everything. And I saw him again, um, day before I was sitting outside of McDonald's with a couple of friends in Banff and he rolls by and he goes, you know what? I'm ready to do it. I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is like on Thursday, the day before the race started. And I was like, honestly, I mean, if you're feeling it, like it's kind of silly or funny to have all these people just like waiting around until, yeah. you know, whoever it's like it's not super well organized honestly so it's kind of ambiguous who's in charge and um so the couple days before you're kind of just like waiting for it to happen and then morning of was interesting because we started outside the ywca which everybody calls it the ymca but this one's the ywca (laughs) okay (laughs) um And that's where they tell you to go. And then um, we we hadn't gotten any information about, like, you're supposed to be leaving in waves. Um, And so there is a guy named Matt who put all of our names onto a Google Doc and then, like, split us into groups and said, like, we were supposed to split up and have 10 minutes between each group. I think it's part of the National Park just trying to keep Mm -hmm. 200 cyclists from trampling the trail all at once. Yeah. but altogether, you just kind of have to show up and hope you're doing the right thing. And I mean, I really feel for people who come from out of the country to do this race because it's kind of hard to figure out. Yeah. Um, and you really have to just be in the right place at the right time. And um, yeah, hope that you're doing it right. Do you feel like that's intentional or do you just think because the thing about the Tour Divide is it's not technically a race, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be a race. They'd have to trigger permitting and that that mm-hmm. is just never going to happen. And so... I wonder if that's like Matthew's way of keeping it ambiguous intentionally, or is he trying to make it more difficult and challenging and keep the barrier to entry or higher? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do you have a sense for the reasoning behind that? Because this isn't like an uncommon comment, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Because like you're saying, if you make it too organized, then you have to start following everybody's rules. Um, and I think is an additional challenge to doing it. And it also will kind of reaffirm just how committed people are to doing it. Um, because it isn't something that you can just like walk up to and, and everything's laid out for you. Um, you have to do some digging and join the Facebook group and then (laughs) get bold and post your question and hope that somebody hasn't already asked it or, (laughs) you know, um, there is, there is a community around it though. And I think that that's the cool part, um, is that you, you can find those answers. You just have to seek them out. And you also kind of just have to trust that even though it feels really disorganized, like you're going to show up and it's still going to be there for you. Um, and that's, what's really, really, um, special I think about the tour divide is that it it kind of exists on its own like it um, functions because the people keep up showing up to do it every year mm. um, and the people along the route too are just I mean it's astonishing there's folks all over the place that um, are so dedicated to providing for the people who decide to do these races um, yeah. yeah it's our tour de France almost mm-hmm. like it's kind mm-hmm. of becoming it has a mystique about, I mean, at least in our circle, you yeah. know, especially maybe not at the cycling, uh, cycling world at large, but mm-hmm. from our perspective, it's kind of like the Tour de France. I mean, you have spectators, you have people watching and following along and wanting to know what the athletes are doing. It's, it is, it is amazing. And I like what you said about how it exists because people keep showing up and the community keeps supporting it. And, um, that's, that is a really neat thing. So what would be, a 
a, a tip for somebody? Did you learn anything at the beginning <laughs> that you said it would be really challenging for someone just showing up? Are there mm. any tips for making it more approachable for people? Um, I would say it's, it sounds funny, but the Facebook group was really helpful um, yeah. to be a part of. And I don't remember all the words, like the chain of words that they use, but it's like tour divide. It's the one. Yeah. Gear, chat, tip, Gear. trick. <laughs> yeah. Just put any of the keywords that you put into Google. If you just do tour divide, it's the one that comes up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that's a great resource. Um, and... Then as far as like staying in Banff, I think that was tricky where like I didn't really know where I was going to stay the night before. Um, I ended up staying in Canmore, um, which is right outside of Banff. And I had I was fortunate enough. One of my friends, Ayla's, her uh, parents were there with a truck. And so they drove us from Canmore to the start um, in the morning. Um, a lot of people that will stay in Canmore. And it's nice because it's also um, pretty popular. Like It's a little bit. Um, of a tourist spot, but it's less hustle bustle than Banff. So I really liked, like, I got into Banff and I got to see everybody running around, but then I got out of there and went to Canmore for um, most of the day Thursday, and that was really nice because it was a lot calmer. Yeah. And there's a nice bike shop there um, that I should remember the name of and I don't. Um, but they uh, were super welcoming and um, excited for us. And I think it was just a, a, a calmer place to be than in Banff. Um, yeah. And so, and it's also less expensive to stay there too. So it's really not too terribly far. There's a bike um, path that runs between the two towns. Um, and I think it's about 15 to 20 miles, depending on where you start in each place. So um, I think that it's good to be out of that kind of hustle bustle and uh, have a more calming space. So let's talk about your personal mm -hmm. start. How yeah. how are you feeling? Were you like scared, nervous, excited? And, and also, I guess, just to continue that on, like how did that first part of the race go uh, when nerves are high? And yeah, yeah take us absolutely. through that, that first um, part. There's so much relief in starting these races. Like there's so much to just being there and it starting and like you just taking off and you're like, okay, now, now all I have to do is ride my bike. Right. We've talked about that before. Um, I think lining up at the W or the YWCA was, um, <laughs> letters and words, um, lining up there. Was, I get them sometimes wrong on Instagram, you know, when yeah, I'm spelling people's true. names. So, you know. It's true. It's fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always, I get, um, I, I identify as queer. I'm, and I still can't get LGBTQIA in the right <laughs> order. I might have just done it wrong again. Um, anyway. Your so. heart's in the right place, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. I hope people know my heart's in the right place, <laughs> yeah, too. But absolutely. I, dude, when you record yourself and listen to yourself, you're like, dude, I make mistakes, like, all the time. It's like, God, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so lining up that morning, um, it, I really felt like, I was so ready for it to happen that, um, I wasn't really nervous anymore. There's also something about being around a lot of nervous energy that I don't like to feed into it. And so I kind of was just trying to think of it as like, as a bike ride. Um, and especially in this case, because it's so long, you, you can't like waste energy on just being anxious about it. Um, you have to figure out how to like, settle yourself into knowing that you're going to be doing this for at least two weeks. Um, and so I started out the race, um, trying to kind of like 
keep calm, you know, remember that it's going to take a long time to happen. And there was a lot of like kind of rushing around happening. So um, you, you take off and um, the first 50 miles, um, you're kind of getting through Banff and you're on a more like single tracky trail um, through a lot of that. And then um, you at the first stop, which is like 50 miles in, there's like um, ice cream and water. And um, at that point, like you're still surrounded by a lot of people and there's still a lot of people who just are treating it like it's a, a few day event yeah, it feels like you know they're kind of rushing they're running into and, the aid station and frantic <laughs> yeah. um gotta be the first one in first one out gotta and, get my gatorade down <laughs> exactly um and so i think it's a lot about like finding the balance for yourself between that really stressy state of mind and then also like realizing that you got to keep moving because it's not gonna you know the miles are not going to pass on their own um well that's what you always hear about and that that's what i'm kind of interested in is how a lot of people talk about how they get caught up in the beginning of race and that energy. And, um, I don't know. So were you able to find that balance, I guess, and not get caught up in that? Yeah, I think so. And I think it stuck out to me most, um, in Eureka, um, when you just cross the border. So you're a couple hundred miles in, um, and you cross back over into the U S and you get into Eureka and there's a, a subway that, um, is like, right off the road and I like pulled up and there were like four or five different people there um and a couple who rolled in right behind me too and um it was such a mix of like some people were still rushing around and some people were much more calm and so I think I found my balance there where like I had already thought about the five different things I needed to do whenever I got there um and made that mental list and um knew what I needed to get done but also like wasn't pissed that there were three people in line for a subway sandwich already um because while i was waiting i could look at the route and see where my yeah. next stop was yeah. and, like it's being efficient in that way where like you are focused on making sure that you're checking all of your boxes um while also allowing yourself to rest yeah. um a little bit when when you can't do anything about it like you can't make the line go faster um, that's really smart and those subway lines can take forever oh, man there's one on the East Texas route, Apple Springs. I don't remember what mile is that, but goddamn, that drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, that reminds me of mm -hmm. a question I forgot to ask you mm -hmm. was about um, your, you, you said you still had homework left to do or this feeling like I still have homework left to do. You're talking about some of your, your planning and your strategies while you're in the race. How prepared were you feeling going into it? And yeah. Yeah. I think after we talked, I uh, made a more, or I made a detailed plan for how to get up there. And that was inspiring for me to um, then start looking at the route and um, start making kind of like waypoints along um, the actual race. Um, but I cannot express enough gratitude. Like, God bless Sarah Swallow. <laughs> um, she kept me alive out there um, with her um, segments that she made with the POIs all um, laid out and then also split the route up into chunks that um, you can download to any device. Um, I use a hammerhead and you have to have uh, under 300 miles for a hammerhead to show you a full route and like um, not glitch or um, screw up the directions and such. Um, and so a couple days before the race, Sarah reached out with, um, with all of that, um, all of those resources and materials. And, um, yeah, that was, that was my, my Bible along the way. Um, do you, do you recall, I think she makes those available to everybody. It's yes. a public resource. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah. So, and I know she has a website, sarahswallow.com. I'm 
Do you mm-hmm. know if they're on there? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All of that's available. I think that there was even something posted. It was like a an article or something where she kind of explains um, what each um, abbreviation and stuff means and right. um, how she goes about um, putting those together. Um, but yeah, it was it was available to everybody. Um, Call back to the community that supports the route, man. Just like hundred percent. Yeah. Super cool. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's awesome to have. And it's so calming to, to be able to look at something and know where, where the next, um, resupply is. And, um, yeah, I think, I think majority of people that I talked to were using that, um, setup. Um, and I think a few people had done their own version of it because I think for a lot of people, and this is true for myself as well, doing that studying and doing that, leading up to a race, I think, um, does add some advantage just cause you're familiar with it. And so instead of trying to study someone else's notes, um, you're making your own type thing. Um, yeah. So how, how were you going about, were you just, were you planning like day by day? Did you wind up coming up with a strategy based on that information? Pretty much, you know, I think, um, some of the biggest factors, of course, resupplies are the number one thing that you're looking at. Um, it's really hard because you you want to to be able to rely on like mileage and say like, okay, it's you know four o'clock. I'm in a town right now. There's another town 60 miles from here. Like I'll get to to there and then I'll rest or I'll like lay down for a couple hours to sleep. But like that 60 miles could be anything. It could be uh, you know a tailwind through the basin and you get there way faster than you expect, which happened to me on the way into Atlantic city. Um, I thought that I was going to get there at like midnight and I rolled in at 10, Mm. um, because the tailwind was so strong and, um, you know, you have nice little surprises like that. Or it's like when you're only 10 miles from Lava Mountain Lodge and you're already planning what you're going to order for dinner. <laughs> and then the route takes you off of the perfectly good road and onto Brooks Lake Road instead. And it's like in the shadow of the mountain and it's just a mile and a half of peanut butter mud. Mm. And so then you're clawing mud off of your bike for two hours, um, thinking about how you were only eight miles away. <laughs> Um, but that eight miles looks a lot different. So I think I tried my best to, to have a plan. Um, when I would lay down to sleep for any amount of time, I would look at the route and try to figure out where the next stop was going to be. Um, and then I also relied a lot on elevation. So it would, a lot of the time I would stop right before the next big climb. Um, or somewhere midway, um, because what I found was I'm way more efficient during the day. Like as soon as the sun goes down, um, for some reason this time I, I was not as good at riding through the night. And I think also like with the roads they put you on, you can't ride nearly as quickly through Mm. a lot of it whenever it's dark. Yeah. Like I've got a big old 1800 lumen light and I still at times would just not be able to tell what was in front of me. So instead of bombing down the hill and getting halfway up the next one, it was like, you know, creeping down the hill and then realizing that you're now climbing again. So, so to share a tip that Chris Picard shared on the last episode Mm. that actually came from Jay Petterberry to quote the source accurately. Nice. Uh, he recommends riding at night strategically. There are mm. sections that are easier mm-hmm. and, and more doable at night. And that comes into like the, the preparation and planning. 
um, because there are sections where you're just going to be so slow that it doesn't make sense to put in the energy and it should better to just sleep. And, and so, um, yeah, just a tip for people that are doing that is that's something I wouldn't think of. And I wonder even if like in the Colorado trail, but, um, any of these events where it's like multi days, if you have the luxury of kind of planning where you're going to sleep, uh, and where you're going to push through the night, something worth considering. Yeah. Well, and I think you got your notes. Um, yeah, I made notes. Isn't okay. that exciting? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> it's like I said, I got back and I was like, nothing ever happened. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm going to be expected to talk about this. Um, yeah, I just went through and I uh, wrote down where I stayed each night and like how oh. many miles I did each day. Okay. Um, and I was looking at it because my example of that was um, really early on. So I like first day I got to Fernie. Um, and that was 150 miles in or 160. Um, and I stayed at Snow Mountain Lodge, um, which was one of those moments where like, you know, it was like 10 o'clock at night and I could have kept going, but, um, I was covered in mud and exhausted from doing cocoa claims, um, which fuck that sucks. Um, and I decided to stop. And then, so the next day from Fernie, I got another 164 miles. Um, and I decided to stop at the base of Red Meadow, um, because I wasn't sure what the climb up to Red Meadow would be like. And I didn't want to, you know, be super slow, um, in the dark versus like being able to see, um, during the day. And like the next morning, whenever I climbed it, it was like, super straightforward and would have been fine. Mm. And so that was one of those moments really, really early on where I was like, oh man, I like don't know this route. I haven't been out here before. I don't know when to push it and when not to. And so I think that's where the advantage of um, having done this before comes in. Because even if you don't remember all the small details, like you can you can remember where you were suffering the most and where you were the happiest. <laughs> you remember, yeah. <laughs> you remember those sections. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of pushing it, mm-hmm. uh, last time we talked, one area where it was kind of like a two B T two B D T B D, however you say that T B D. C words and letters and stuff. <laughs> they're complicated. Was uh was you know how far in the well? I got an ant that's biting my ass. Uh, how <laughs> how far in the well? There you are. Can you push it right over over 14 days? Um, you know, what is that line? You don't want to cross it. How close can I come to it? What do I got? You oh, got I got a ants. whole situation. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I want to stand up anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> y'all can enjoy my ass sweat or whatever it is that's so attractive in that area. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. there there was that. Uh, you know, how far can you push it? How far into the wealth can you go? And then. Um, we're also talking about sleep here and I'm curious, you know, how far were you pushing the sleep and just yourself in general? Yeah. Yeah. So I had kind of, um, laid out a baseline of at least four hours a night of sleep, um, which would mean that I was usually stopped for around five, um, and sometimes even a little bit more, um, to try to achieve the actual, like you are asleep for four hours or you're trying to sleep for four hours. Um, and so I had gone in with that, with that expectation for myself. And I also knew that I was going to be kind of doing so rhythmically with the, um, daylight too. So I wanted to be riding for as many daylight hours as possible. Um, and so I would try to, 
time it to where around like 11 o'clock at night, um, especially up north, like in Canada and Montana, like you've got daylight until at least 11 mm. during this time of year. Um, so to try to continue to move while you have the daylight and then um, stop for the nighttime. Um, so I was usually stopping around 11 and then getting up to start moving or be moving by 4.30 or 5 because um, that's when the sun would be up. Um, and so that was kind of a general rule, right? But then you also throw in like where you're at in those different places. So sometimes I would stop a little earlier um, because like, for example, rolling in um, to Llama Ranch, it was only 8.30 and I still had a couple of good hours of daylight left. Um, but I got there and John and Barbara were there with snacks and drinks and there were a couple other riders hanging out. Um, that's where I like met up with Jacob Laos. Um, and I was like, you shout know out what? Jacob. He just said an FKTSS uh, single speed on the dune. Right? So yeah, yeah, shout out Jacob. So stoked. So, so stoked for him. Um, yeah. God, he's such a strong and consistent writer. And and nice guy. Just a nice guy. Right. Just yeah. a good human. Yeah. And I, um, I, I love good humans. Yes, absolutely. Well, it was so fun too, to roll up. Like I roll up to Llama Ranch and they're like standing in the road, like cheering me on, oh. <laughs> like already, um, so stoked that I was going to yeah, be you there. You can't leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, thanks for that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go ahead now. <laughs> I'm going to go climb this mountain pass. Um, yeah, and it was sweet because John, um, who helps run the ranch, him and Barb, he, I asked him, I was like, if you were me, would you keep going? And he was like, I mean, honestly, the next pass is pretty straightforward. Like, you'd probably be fine. Um, and I was like thinking about going ahead and pushing on. Um, and then he like offered me a sandwich and was like, so you're going to stay? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that, um, having a bit of a plan, but then rolling with whatever punches come, um, whether they're good or bad, you know, um, that one was one where I knew that this was a really special place along the route that was important to get to indulge in. Um, and that it would matter later down the line that I decided to stop and have, and, and get that good rest. And, um, especially they're like, they are entirely donation based. They won't let you pay for anything. The number one thing they want is for you to, um, to pass on the good fortune. So when you get a chance to, to give to other people, um, doing so and remembering that you've been provided for in the past too, um, which is just such a like beautiful way of kind of like, it's the spirit of bike pack racing in a lot of ways where like you are given a lot of things and there are a lot of people there for you. So remembering to do that for others whenever you get the chance to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it was, it was making decisions on the fly. And then it's also remembering to take care of yourself. Um, because like I said, you know, the record for this race is like just over 13 days. So like, you're going to be doing this for at least that long. Mm. Um, and so deciding to take that comfort when you get a chance to, um, and I also like, I, the reality is I will probably end up doing this again someday um, because, <laughs> like, you know, you get to Antelope Wells and your first thought is like, oh, I could totally do that faster. <laughs> um, and so eventually one day, definitely not next year and not anytime super soon because there's plenty of other things to do. Sure. Um, but while I was out there, I was reminding myself, like, this, you've committed so much to this. Like, you should not rush through it and you should enjoy it as fully as you can while you're out here. Um, and so there were times that I decided to do that and kind of just put away any thought of like, oh, I could race and catch Katya because she's 
stuck getting her brakes fixed or whatever. Yeah. Like, sure, but then what? You know, she's just going to take off again. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, definitely finding that balance. Um, yeah, I had a quote here from you, actually. Uh, I knew when I said I wanted to do this race that I mm -hmm. wanted to do it fast, but I mm -hmm. realized that I also want to do it my way, and that's been the most fulfilling part. The folks, the generosity on the route continues to astound me and overwhelm me with grat gratitude. So you were talking about uh, you were talking about essentially that um, that desire to you know enjoy the experience versus the desire to go fast. And so I wanted wanted to see if you'd expand on. It sounds like you're kind of touching on that finding that that. Mm -hmm that balance of enjoying what you're doing and also going out to do what you were there to do, which was to see what you could do and how fast you could do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and allowing yourself to, to push yourself past that limit, like to decide when you want to push it and, and do a little more than you normally would. Um, and then also just accepting help when you need it. Um, and so kind of riding that balance, like trying to, um, to maintain really the whole time. So it's maintaining yourself. It's maintaining your bike. It's maintaining your food intake and your water intake and your sleep. And so knowing when you have it in you to push it, um, and also kind of like what Chris mentioned about the route, like knowing when along the route it's appropriate to do that. Um, and other times when it's actually just a lot better to go ahead and just stop when, uh, when John asks you to. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a mix of both of those things. And, um, I think, really trying to strike that balance because, um, it is impressive to do things fast. Um, and it feels really good to do them quickly and, um, you can still do that, um, while also, um, indulging a little bit and, and allowing yourself that comfort. Cause I think one of the things that, um, I've discovered, especially with doing tour divide, I, I don't love the, the rules around not uh, like not being allowed to ask for help. Um, I understand them and I do think that they should be in place, but I do think that the type of people who are doing these types of races a lot of the time um, are on the really far end of this like spectrum of, um, you know, you've got people who maybe can't do things on their own that always, always need the help or maybe should do things um, and, and put themselves through hard things at times. But then you've got the other end of the spectrum that I think sign up for these races that like will not ask for help and will refuse it when they need it most. Um, and I think a lot of that, um, the rules around not being allowed to, um, puts those people in this place where like they, they suffer, they're, they're struggling a lot more than they need to, um, because they think that that's part of the glory. Um, and I just don't like that narrative. Like I don't like, um, can you give an example of, <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's like when you're in really dire straits or like you're running out of water or something and somebody goes by, like the fact that you can't ask the person coming by for, for water, um, is really hard. Um, actually, yeah, I didn't quite know that that was, is that just tour divide or is that all of them? Do you know? I think it's most of them. I think yeah. really the, the, the spirit around it is that like you should be able to provide for yourself and take care of yourself in a way that you don't have to, yeah. um, ask for that help. And I do to a certain extent understand that because there are ways it's that you can It's also being resourceful it. on route, right? It's mm -hmm. like, 
yeah, it's resourcefulness is kind of what you're looking for. And yeah. yeah, maybe you got yourself in over your head, but did you also get yourself out of it and also adhere to the route? And mm-hmm. yeah, I can see. Okay. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. And I think it's yeah part of a larger conversation and I'm still like ruminating on it and processing what yeah. exactly that looks like because, you know, a, a direct example would be, um, I was rolling through a campground with um, Sasha and um, we were looking for a water spigot. And like, as we were going through, um, there were I mean, several people who were camping there and I chatted to a guy. I was like, hey, do you happen to know if there's a water spigot around or where, we, where a water spigot would be? Um, and he shouted no. And it was funny. She, we talked about it a couple minutes later cause she was like, Oh, that was a really strategic way of asking that. Um, because I wasn't asking for water. I was asking if there was a place to find it. And this person in particular didn't offer it, but I think maybe <laughs> it would prompt most people to say like, Oh, Hey, I've got a jug with me. Like, do you need some? Yeah. Um, which my understanding would be that that would be an ex- like acceptable, like you could accept that help from someone. Uh, um, because they were to offer it to you instead of you asking for it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Loopholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some loopholes in there. That's why these rules um, are complicated whenever you're like solo self-supported. I put on our East Texas showdown ones. It's like, ultimately, like I, I finally wrote rules and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but it's like, there can't be a set of rules that governs every single set of circumstances. And ultimately you got to arrive at the finish line and, and it's like a, it's just an, a societal agreement that, yeah, I did it honorably and by the rules and ethically and mm-hmm. I feel good about it kind of thing, you know. And there do, there's always going to be an element, I think, of that where we're never going to be able to get rid of. And I don't think we want to, you know. Right, right. And I think, too, it's also like, and I think you guys talked about it a little bit when you um, interviewed Uba um, right after he finished um, the guy who Mm -hmm. won this year yeah Yeah. um i think he talked a little bit about it too where like um you there are some like intangible things that that help people right it's like riding with other people along the route um and then there's also other circumstances where like if you set out to set the record and then something gets in your way and you know that you're not going to get to finish that record like do you finish the race or do you just quit because you didn't get to do what you thought you were going to Mm. Um, and it was really, really lovely to hear from him, especially after getting stuck for 18 plus hours um, and knowing like there's a, a smaller chance of, of beating this record now, um, but to continuing on. Yeah. So Jacob's another good example of that. Like he got stuck in Pinedale um, because he needed to get a new wheel um, and he like outsourced and he ultimately kind of like disqualified himself from the race because he sourced a wheel in a way that he felt like it wasn't available to other people Mm. um and decided to continue on um up until salida up until you know it sounded like he had completed what he felt he wanted to um and so i think that's the other thing too like you said tour divide is is a race sure but like Really, it's just an experience that um, you get to decide however you um, want to do it. And I think it's really honorable in a lot of cases when things don't work out for you and you still decide to continue on. I, you know, um, Dennis on the East Texas Showdown, whenever Mm -hmm. he got disqualified for accepting assistance from me for a a saddle on race. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he he didn't understand the rules of solo self-supported fully and didn't understand that disqualified him. But I was really impressed with how he went from 
being very competitive and, and really taking that disqualification kind of hard, you know, you're, mm -hmm. when you're in the thick of it to get disqualified when you're doing so well is not easy. Mm -hmm. um, but he showed up at the finish line with a smile on his face and had a great experience. And mm -hmm. I, I have so much respect for people who, like you said, just they're, they're you're out there for you. You know, it's yes. not about that second or first place or what put, someone puts on the internet. So a few people will read it one day. It's like, you know, hopefully you're doing it for you. And, and I thought, I thought Uba's answer was, was great. He really has a great perspective and, um, and it was, he got to implement it and, and still got good value out of his experience. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? <clears throat> third yeah. place, uh, on the tour divide, shared third place yes. as is your tradition. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's, let's start there. Uh, why not? Uh, yeah. what was the conversation like if at any between you and is it Sasha or Sacha? Yeah. Yeah. Sacha. Sacha. S-A-C-H-A. Sacha. Uh, yeah. Um, what was that conversation like? Any, mm -hmm. <laughs> any talks about shooting, sprinting it out or anything? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we really, we had kind of been yo-yoing throughout the the uh, race, um, we had run into each other a couple times, and um, I think ultimately I was stopping for longer and then kind of catching her um, most of the time. And so that last section, um, we had only been together for, uh, I guess, like 150 miles or so. So it was really like the last day. Um, so I had caught up to her, and um, we were riding together and got to the section that um, actually puts you on the Continental Divide Trail. Hmm. Um, which is right before Silver City, um, which is also during the longest run out of the whole race. So like between Grants, New Mexico and Silver City, New Mexico is like 240 miles where there's like hardly anything. Yeah. Um, like 60 miles from Grants, you get Pie Town, um, which you almost always hit at night. And there's like one pie place that's open from like nine to two um, and a couple water spigots at the RV park, um, which is a good side note. RV parks have full hookups yeah. um, and there's always spigots with potable water. So sure. it's a good, it's a good tip um, along the uh, tour divide. Um, but yeah, so we were together for that um, little bit and then got on the continental divide trail. We were climbing up onto the ridge as the sun was setting um, and it was one of those moments where like, man, what are we doing? Um, we only had 30 miles to get to Silver City. And of course, six of it is like hiking your bike up this, uh, trail along a ridgeline. Mm. Um, and then we did it in the dark, which I've found out later, you know, another one of those moments, like knowing the route a little bit better, um, was not the smartest plan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we were both like pretty close to hallucinating delusional at that point like we're walking along and at one point she says something about like man this is like hungry work and I was like should should we stop and and t and snack <laughs> um and that's where you start to kind of navigate this like okay this sucks um but it's better that we're together um because it would really suck if you were alone um and so uh we decided um to stop along the route um there was a spot that was pretty obviously cleared for um cdt hikers to camp and at that point i had been walking along this trail like <laughs> seeing um hallucinating empty chip wrappers <laughs> which was hilarious as i was walking i just looked down i was like god there's just so much trash on this trail um and then i would get close to it and it would be a plant <laughs> um so i was like 
not in a, you know, not in a good place, running out of food, running out of water. Um, and Sacha was experiencing the same thing. So decided to stop and kind of had a conversation there where we were like, okay, we're going to camp for a couple hours and like, we're, we're okay with deciding to kind of get up at the same time and keep moving to get to Silver City. Um, and slept a couple hours. My alarm woke her up, but then I snoozed it and she woke me up. So it was one of those moments where, um, without each other, we probably, things would have been different. Um, and so slept for a couple hours, got up, started moving towards Silver City, got into Silver City and I was a hell bent on McDonald's. <laughs> um, I had been talking the night before about how I thought I was going to get there before they closed. Cause again, I was like, Oh, 30 miles. Like it's seven 30 at night. Like I can get there before 11. Um, and then, you know, we start hiking up the CDT and I'm like, yeah, there's no way. Like I'm lucky if I get there by the time they open. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and we did, we rolled into Silver City right around six o'clock um, in the morning, the next morning. And, um, she was like, I'm just going to keep going and find a gas station. So I stopped at McDonald's. Um, she kept going, found a gas station. And then eventually I kind of caught her again. And at this point you've only got 150 miles left of the whole thing. Um, and it was the last day and, um, we started riding together. I like caught her again. Um, and we were riding together and, um, we got all the way down to, um, the point where you hit Hachita. Um, and that's 45 miles from, um, Antelope Wells. And that last 45 miles is, um, all paved and all headwind. Um, <laughs> yep. and it was hot as hell. Even the wind was hot. Yeah. And Sasha's from like Western Australia, um, which is a desert. Um, and she was like, it, this is, this is hot yeah. for even me. And I mean, me being from Texas too. Um, and it was in that 45 miles that we had this conversation. I don't remember how it came up, but, um, I told her the story about Steph Hall and I, um, this past East Texas showdown when, um, we were together and we had like 10 miles left and we had a couple ideas for how we could race each other. And then we got nearly got mauled by a truck on the most calm road, um, <laughs> of the whole route and, and decided like, okay, you know what? We just want to finish this. And the way that I put it after, after that race was that safety and camaraderie meant so much more to me than winning. Um, and Sasha had shared similar sentiments, um, throughout our time together. And, and as I was telling that story, she kind of looked at me and she was like, do we want to finish this thing together? Like, is that how we want to do this? Um, and it's funny cause I think about it and I truly believe that each of us thought that the other was going to win if we <laughs> decided to, to go ahead and, and <laughs> sprint. Um, and especially in that last 45 miles with that headwind coming at us. And then also we looked up and there's like a big old storm that was brewing south of us. Um, if you look at some of our finishing photos, like it's dark oh, um, yeah. out there and we really didn't know what we were rolling into. Um, and again, like I said earlier, like that 45 miles was a lot more enjoyable, um, with her than it would have been alone. Um, and so we kind of just decided that we weren't going to race each other, um, at the very, very end. Um, we had also been through all of that the night before together, um, and it just felt more important than like, I don't want to reduce this 2,700 mile experience to the last couple of miles of sprinting it out. Yeah. Um, like that is a way to do it. And maybe in some cases or situations, like if we had been, you know, fighting for first, maybe each of us would have felt differently. Um, but it, you know, it was third and <laughs> 
We're tired. Cares? Who cares about third? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh like, my gosh. Um, yeah. So you I should think, care about third. I know. I you mean, should I care. Guess. <laughs> it was funny because while we were riding, third place should be your favorite place on this year's Tour Divide. Yeah. Well, you know, it still is. It's just shared. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. She's just part of that. Part of that experience. Yes. Absolutely. What? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. First time on the Tour Divide, mm-hmm. uh, first check on the Triple Crown box. I mean, you got third place. That that's that's huge. I mean, it's it's crazy that on this podcast and in this community, we just kind of like we almost talk about these things like they're in passing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a huge effort. Yeah. Well, especially this year, like the the women's field was stacked. Yeah, it was. Like, Get everybody there. You know, I mean, of course, like Lale absolutely killed it. Even with having setbacks, you know, Lale still finished so fast and so strong um and katia just like totally blew it out of the water that was awesome um to get to to witness and then you know there were like four or five of us in a crew right behind the two of them um that we kept like running into each other Mm -hmm. um and seeing each other out there and it was so inspiring to know that like those fresh tire tracks in front of me were like the two women like when sacha was ahead of me and alexander was ahead of me for a while and knowing that those women had just done what i was doing like just in me so much more um, because uh, I knew that I could do it and I knew that the next person right behind me was also going to see my tire tracks and think the same thing. Chris Picard said the exact, exact same thing about the tire tracks. He's like, they did it. They're going to have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We're all in this together. Exactly. You take some comfort knowing that like when you turn off onto that fucked up road, like everybody had to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think, I think that was super inspiring and I'd always rather be in a pack of super strong women who are challenging me than like winning by default because I'm the only one out there, you know? Oh Um, yeah. Would much prefer to to have the company. So um, yeah, I think that, that was super motivating. Um, I, I, I fared pretty well as far as like, you know, my, my body, I don't have any chronic aches or pains. Um, my fit was, was great. Um, my bike held up super, super well. Um, I rode 3,200 miles and I didn't have a single flat. Wow. Which is crazy. That is, that's insane. Um, shout out Tara Vale. I was running Sparwoods, um, the durable 47s? Sparwood. Um, no, they're 2.2s. Oh, yeah. So they're, they're the, the wide like mountain bike version of the cannonball. Okay. Same tread. So I, I have to tell you that I did just put the, I, did, I couldn't remember the name of them, but mm-hmm. they're the 47s, the, the, the cannonballs, I guess mm-hmm. are the ones that you swear by. Yeah. Well, were the cannonballs or washburns? Uh, they have the, the slick in the center. Yeah. That's a washburn. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> Did I get the wrong one? Still, yeah. Still Terravale. All yeah. right. The slick ones are the washburns. That's what like Eric, um, Eric house runs, um, and a couple other people. I like them. Um, yeah, they're great. Um, now I'll have to try the cannonballs next mm-hmm, and see which yeah. one's better. Yeah. So cannonballs got a little more tread in the middle. Um, so it doesn't roll quite as fast, but they're also a little lighter for whatever reason. Huh. That is um, interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm training for the central Texas route that has a lot of roads. So that's why I'm thinking that center stripe, but yeah, I'd go Washburn for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the, and then the Sparwood is just the, the wider version. So like the 29 inch, um, 2.2 version of the cannonball. Um, it's what they put on a salsa cutthroat stock. So who, uh, who maintains your bike? Like who prepped mm-hmm. it for tour divide? Um, uh, 
a lot of it was me, but I did have a lot of help. So um, the break set, um, Tim Carr, um, one of our mechanics who has worked with Magura for a long, long time, um, he installed uh, my MT Sports on there for me. Um, I helped. I bled <laughs> one of them. Um, and then uh, Jacob is another one of our mechanics. He built my front wheel um, into my son Dynamo Hub um, for me and um, got that all set up and then helped me set up the uh, Dynamo. I've got a reactor um, from Sinewave. Um, so that's just a little USB port that sits in my uh, steer tube. Um, so I had some help setting that up. Um, and then, of course, like, SRAM and Salsa both, like SRAM uh, provided the group set for me. Um, I installed it myself um, and maintained it, but um, that and then the fork too. Um, I was on a SID Ultimate um, and that needs a big old rebuild. Um, so I'll, I'll be doing that too. But yeah, so, I mean, as a, as a mechanic myself, like I, um, know and understand how to work on all the things on my bike. Um, the Magura setup was one that I just wanted to make sure I got right. Cause they've got some particulars about, um, their brake sets. Um, and Tim is also just such a superstar with stuff like that, that it was awesome to get to lean on him a little bit. Um, and then I don't, I'm not a wheel builder. Um, and so, I've, I've laced wheels before for Jacob to then, um, tension, but, um, with this situation, um, he was just willing to go ahead and build it for me. So, um, yeah, got some help along the way. So the teamwork made the bike work Mm -hmm. through, uh, through 30, 3,200 miles. So that is impressive. Uh, Chris Picard wasn't near as lucky. (laughs) He was plagued with, and I mean, a lot of riders. I mean, it's crazy to go 3,200 miles and not even have a flat tire. Yeah. All right. Let's switch to some seed. TR talk, mm-hmm. Colorado mm-hmm. Trail Race. So we're a month away. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does your life look like now? How do you get off the Tour Divide and immediately start prepping for a Colorado Trail Race? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I got back and I jumped right back in. Um, so I am still working full time uh, managing the bike shop. Um which has been uh, really good because it's kept me busy, but also just like stressful because it's hard to be gone for a month and then jump right back into work. Um, But things have been good there. I also, just like side note, want to tell everybody to go buy things from their local bike shop um, because it's a million degrees outside in Texas and um, there are less people buying bike things. So um, (laughs) come buy bike things um, from us. Um, You're going to need it when you start riding bikes again. You might as well yeah. buy it now. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. So come but come visit you us. You know how you always complain about bike shops being busy and it takes too long to get your bike back? Now's the time to take your bike yes. in. <laughs> yeah, take your bike in now so that when uh, September hits and you haven't touched it in four months, no. There you go. Um, yeah, so, so that's been um, good to jump back into. Um, I think I'm focusing more on um, strength training in this bit of time versus is um, actual mileage because I got a lot of that during June. Um, so I've done I've done a lot of miles in the saddle, and um, now I'm frequenting the gym and uh, holding a kettlebell over my head while I'm uh, doing the stair stepper, um, trying to <laughs> get some some hike a bike. Yeah, I get I get some looks for sure. People are like, "What are you? What is this for? Um, are you on TikTok?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're recording yourself right now? Um, no, I just, it's, you know, one of those kind of weird ways that I've just been trying to, to isolate the muscles that I noticed were being fatigued on the couple of times that I was hiking a bike on Tour Divide. Um, a lot of upper body stuff, a lot of core stuff. Um, 
it's you know it's good stability to have to bear that kind of weight um up above your head so um been doing some of that um yeah how much how much weight training are you doing um i try to uh do lift like heavy weights um two to three times a week okay Um, for how long uh just under an hour um i'll do like back squat deadlift um and then a couple of arm things mix it up uh from there um are you creating your own training stuff for the most part i like have a an understanding of weightlifting from just like high school volleyball we would do weight training twice a week um so i've got some of those things just kind of like cataloged in my brain um and then i go to uh austin bouldering project abp here in town and they've got um like group classes too that are kind of like a mix between hit and and weightlifting mm. um so i'll take from from those classes um and yeah just try to isolate those muscles that i was feeling fatigue in um like i said while i was doing tour divide um also just kind of trying to gain weight back um I lost a lot of weight during. How much did you lose? I'm, I don't have. You know. I didn't. I didn't actually weigh it. Um, I would say somewhere between like ten and twelve pounds. Um, wow. I, you know, I got back and everybody was like, "Whoa, where'd you go?" Um, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, pretty thin, um, and all of it was my ass, man. I lost so much <laughs> of my ass. It's so sad. You'll get it back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Turns out pedaling doesn't doesn't work it out quite as much as, as the, the quads. Yeah, it's such a bummer, but. Um, it's okay. I'm I'm wearing all the the pairs of shorts that I couldn't wear before. So. Um, yeah, but pros and cons. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting trying to kind of like bulk back up to then go out and and do another one of these crazy uh, bike races. Um, yeah. So mostly just weight training and maintaining the uh, the fitness that you you've got. Did you learn anything from the Tour Divide that's going to change how you approach Colorado Trail? Um. I guess maybe a little bit like things I was really happy with my setup like I think especially having that time beforehand um touring up to Banff I um was able to shake out a few things I did end up mailing some stuff back that I didn't use at all on tour divide so I'm trying to decide whether or not I bring those things with me um so I had a base layer with me that I never took out um it was like merino wool stuff that I didn't end up needing um so I'm going to kind of look into whether or not I want to bring those things. Um, and I had rain pants that I, uh, carried with me that I thought I would never use that I swore against and then ended up wearing a bunch, um, Uh while I was on tour divide. So it might be one of those where like my rain pants are kind of like my base layer. Um, Mm. and then I don't take any other long sleeve things with me. Um, it's going to be interesting packing, um, because I'm going to use a dropper post, um, for Colorado trail. I am still going to ride my, um, timber jack. So I'll be on a hard tail. Um, I might swap the fork out to something a little beefier. I was riding the SID for the tour divide. And I think I would rather be on a pike with like 130 or 140 mile travel. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely swapping out tires, probably still going to stick with Terraville cause they've done me so well, but I haven't, you know, decided which ones yet. Um, but something beefier 2.4 or so. Um, cause it really is, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a hiking trail. The Colorado trail is a hiking trail yeah. that us lunatics take our bikes on. <laughs> um, and so yeah, the packing situation will be a little different. Um, just not being able to run a giant seat bag with a dropper post. Um, but sleep setup, I'll probably keep the same. Um, 
30 degree quilt with a sleeping bag liner, um, which I think was one of the reasons why I didn't need a base layer because it stops the draft Hmm. from happening around the quilt. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I think just focusing mostly on um, uh, strong, like technical skills, mountain biking more um, and feeling comfortable um, descending because that's another big thing with, you know, you, you got to climb the mountain, but then you also have to get down the other side. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be fun training in this heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. I'm like, man, I'm like basically at sea level. I think we're at like 800 feet elevation and I see all these folks who are going to also be racing, you know, like Alexander's hanging out in Colorado yeah. for like this whole month. Easy. Um, and so I think, uh, I'm going to try to get there, um, again, a little early, um, five to seven days before the race starts, um, just to get out into the mountains and breathe some mountain air. And, um, hopefully that'll help some, um, but you know, you work with what you got. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how the, the, uh, the heat. Uh, balances out with the lack of altitude, mm-hmm. but training here makes it makes you tough at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's true. And man, the entire time I was in Colorado during the Tour Divide, it was sunny with not a cloud in the sky. Like it's exactly what it looks like here right now. Um, and I ended up having to stop in Steamboat Springs and go to a thrift store and find a sun shirt because I was like looking at the weather and I was like, I'm going to be exposed at altitude to the sun for hours on end. Yeah. Um, Turn into a tomato. Exactly. So, um, if, if the, the weather is anything like that during Colorado trail, then I'll have a little bit of an advantage because it's a million degrees here. And that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We got them. Well, with that said, uh, what is your goal for Colorado trail race? You third on the tour divide. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, uh, second on Colorado trail and (laughs) and first at AZT, you know, you're learning, you know, countdown. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, oh gosh, no, I think it'll be quite the opposite. Um, (laughs) Another strong field. Yes. Uh, oh, I just saw, uh, Anna Jagger is is going. Is she? Yeah. I just saw that today. And uh, Leia will be there. Alexandra mm-hmm. will be there. You'll mm-hmm. be there. And I don't know who else. I'm sure it's yeah. it's always going to be a strong field at Colorado. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have any goals as far as like placing. Um, I even more so than Tour Divide am more concerned with just finishing um, and finishing strong. Um, I As far as time goes, I haven't really like my guess is like six or seven days um, would be. Uh, nice to finish it in. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to push the like, um, no sleep, um, or if I'm going to be in the mode to do that. Um, I, I, you, you have to sleep at some point. It's 540 miles of, uh, single track, Mm -hmm. but, um, I still have to do my homework on this one. Um, I don't, I don't have Sarah Swallow to back me up for the Colorado Trail. got you on this one. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'd be happy with, uh, finishing within six or seven days and, um, it would be, it would be really cool to do well, um, amongst that group of super strong women. Um, but yeah, just focusing on finishing. I, I had a question I've been thinking about recently mm-hmm. and, <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, as we're talking about the Colorado trail race, I'm thinking, you know, it's, it probably will be easier to be in race mode for six days versus, you know, 14, 15, 16 days. But like one thing I've never really thought about or talked about on the podcast is how do you stay motivated 
you know, six months before a race mm. or a year before a race. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever struggle with like going to the gym every day and riding? Do you ever like, we always talk about like, oh, how are you able to stay motivated and focused and how are you able to overcome that? But like, what about the, you know, 180 days before the race when you're mm-hmm. waking up early or staying up late or missing time with your friends or mm-hmm. does that ever like wear on you, the the training before events and yeah? Oh yeah, absolutely. Good, um, we're not alone. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not like I'm, you know, just always thrilled to be, <laughs> um, both putting myself through these things and preparing for them. Right. Um, I think, I mean, a motivating factor always is like knowing that when you're putting in the work now, that it will be more enjoyable and approachable later. Um, knowing that like showing up to the gym each time and, and building on that slowly, um, will make things, um, feel a lot better. Um, whenever you're actually doing them, I think that's a big motivating factor. Um, it's also just like how I feel good. Like after, you know, riding 150 miles a day for 18 days, like it's a little bit of a shock to like come back to life and not be moving your body that much. Um, and so I recognize in myself this pattern of like, if I am stagnant for too long, then I can feel my mood shift. I can feel that, um, I'm not having as good of a time or that I'm grumpy or at work or something. Um, and it's as little as just like deciding to ride my bike to work instead of drive, um, or deciding to go and spend that hour at the gym, um, because I'll feel that much better, um, if I do it versus if I don't. Um, so that's a big motivating factor for me, um, is just kind of keeping that momentum um because especially like i think doing the triple crown um it it is kind of conducive to just like rolling into the next thing um and it's interesting to be able to say that now because i i wasn't sure after tour divide just how exhausted i would be if it would be um enough to like kind of knock me out and make me not want to do something but really it just kind of like like accelerates you into the next one um or at least that's what it yeah, feels your like your base so miles far. are next level right now <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so like using that to your advantage and keeping that going um and it fluctuates every day you know um there are times that um and, and i think it is important to choose rest um that's mm. something that that's um i know katie strumpke um just released a couple of things after having done the highland 550 right um, talking about how recovery is part of training. And so I think that's what I struggle with most is reminding myself to slow down um, so that when it's time to speed back up, I've got the yeah. the gusto to do it. Um, yeah, so... That is the yin and the yang. Yeah, absolutely. It's like our bodies do want to be moving. We feel better when we're moving, but also our bodies benefit greatly from rest and recovery, and that's how we grow. And uh, so finding that yin and the yang. Yeah. But... Uh, but the the training aspect it's like it's easy to say oh i know i feel better mm-hmm. whenever i'm moving and whenever right. i'm doing but sometimes mm-hmm. i think for a lot of people it's hard to kind of just like kick your own ass and be like all right i'm mm-hmm. going to go i'm going to yeah. go i'm going to do it and like yeah. overcome those you know thousands of mental hurdles leading up to an event to just like okay this is gonna pay off one day right exactly yeah (laughs) like there's a whole other like endurance effort going on before you ever get to the start line of Mm -hmm. just being consistent and determined and dedicated to uh, an idea a Mm -hmm. goal that you have and that's like the only thing that really sustains you and it's kind of yeah it's kind of crazy yeah well no it's something like because you know and you also are, are doing that during the race too you are like 
deciding to get up and ride your bike and it's a little more motivating because there is like a means to an end like you're you're headed towards something but like I felt this kind of split in my brain along the way during tour divide where it was like I had my like logic brain and my like emotional brain and so like logically there would be times that I would be going and I would like be really tired or feel really rough and then I'd like want to cry and then my logic brain would be like that's a waste of energy. Don't do that. <laughs> and there are other times where like, it just like overwhelmed me and I like had to, and then I felt so much better cause I like was able to express that emotion and feel that way. Um, but like allowing a little bit of that logic to come out, like during everyday life, it's like that, that hour is going to happen whether or not you're spending it at the gym. And so like kind of choosing that and then being proud of yourself for choosing it, um, is important. And then doing the same with rest. Like this morning, for example, I was like, Oh, it'd be really great to go get that 7am class in. And I was like, no, you're gonna choose to sleep in. Um, because that's just as important. And I had a really good friend of mine, Katie May. She uh, sent me this thing actually this morning, um, through Instagram that said, instead of thinking, have I worked hard enough to deserve rest? Think, have I rested well enough to do my best work? Ooh, nice. And I really liked that because it's just, it's a very similar thing, but it just flips that mindset of instead of earning the rest, like resting so that you know that you're doing your best when, when you're, when yeah. you're at work. So. Yeah. Go into it with your best, not fatigued and mm-hmm. run exactly. down. Well, I got to, uh, I have a meeting with Russell yeah. and Ariel in Making 10 minutes. Late. <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. I, I, I were forced to wrap it up, but, uh, yeah. congratulations. I mean, that's, that's insane. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, it's crazy that, yeah, people even do this at all and you're mm-hmm. just going to keep on going and it's, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. absolutely. So Thank I guess you. until next time. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We'll follow your daughter on the Colorado trail race. Thanks so much. Don't mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, we'll do do our best. I'll try. (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And thanks and congratulations again to Hannah Simon. And good luck over the next few weeks as you prepare to take on the Colorado Trail, a much different uh, race potentially more challenging. I will be eager to hear your thoughts about the Colorado trail race and how it compares to the tour divide and, um, and just about your experience. So, uh, good luck out there. And, um, over here in bikes or death land, uh, we are, we already have next week's episode recorded. That one is going to be with James Collins. Uh, he attempted an ITT of the new central Texas showdown route And so I caught up with him in Austin, Texas this past Friday, and uh, we we had a chat at a bar. Um, And so you get some nice ambient bar uh, sounds in the background for that one. But uh, that's what's coming out next week. Thank you so much for being here. And again, if you would like to support the work that we do over here at Bikes or Death, you can do so directly by visiting patreon.com forward slash bikes or death and signing up to be a sustaining member of this podcast. All right, that's it. Until next week, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories.
folklore. Fear turns into strength as you push further. Every pedal stroke, stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes, oh death, bikes, oh death.